Section 3 of A Woman's Journey Round the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Woman's Journey Round the World by Ida Laura Pfeiffer. Chapter 2 Arrival and Sojourn in Rio de Janeiro. Introduction Arrival Description of the Town the blacks and their relations to the whites, arts and sciences, festivals of the church, baptism of the imperial princes, fat in the barracks, climate and vegetation, manners and customs, a few words to immigrants. I remained in Rio de Janeiro above two months, exclusive of the time devoted to my different excursions into the interior of the country. It is very far from my intention, however, to tire the reader with a regular catalogue of every trifling and ordinary occurrence. I shall content myself with describing the most striking features in the town, and likewise in the manners and customs of the inhabitants, according to the opportunities I possessed, during my stay, to form an opinion of them. I shall then give an account of my various excursions in an appendix, and afterwards resumed the thread of my journal. It was on the morning of the 17th of September that, after the lapse of nearly two months and a half, I first set foot upon dry land. The captain himself accompanied the passengers on shore, after having earnestly advised each one separately to be sure and smuggle nothing, more especially sealed letters. In no part of the world, he assured us, were the custom-house officers so strict, and the penalties so heavy. On coming in sight of the guardship, we began to feel quite frightened from this description, and made up our minds that we should be examined from top to toe. The captain begged permission to accompany us on shore. This was immediately granted, and the whole ceremony was completed. During the entire period that we lived on board the ship, and were continually going and coming to and from the town, we never were subjected to any search. It was only when we took chests and boxes with us that we were obliged to proceed to the custom-house, where all effects are strictly examined, and a heavy duty levied upon merchandise, books, etc., etc. We landed at the Praia dos Mineiros, a disgusting and dirty sort of square, inhabited by a few dozen blacks, equally disgusting and dirty, who were squatted on the ground, and praising at the top of their voices the fruits and sweetmeats which they were offering for sale. Thence we proceeded directly into the principal street, Rua Direita, whose only beauty consists in its breadth. It contains several public buildings, such as the post office, the custom house, the exchange, the guard house, etc., all of which, however, are so insignificant in appearance that any one would pass them by unnoticed if there were not always a number of people loitering before them. At the end of this street stands the Imperial Palace, a commonplace large building, exactly resembling a private house, without the least pretensions to taste or architectural beauty. The square before it, Largo do Passo, whose only ornament, a plain fountain, is extremely dirty, and serves at night as a sleeping place for a number of poor free negroes, who, on getting up in the morning, perform the various duties of their toilet in public, with the most supreme indifference. A part of the square is walled off, 
and employed as a market for fish, fruit, vegetables, and poultry. Of the remaining streets, the Rua Misericórdia and the Rua Ovidor are the most interesting. The latter contains the finest and largest shops, but we must not expect the magnificent establishments we behold in the cities of Europe. In fact, we meet with little that is beautiful or costly. The flower shops were the only objects of particular attraction for me. In these shops are exposed for sale the most lovely artificial flowers, made of birds' feathers, fishes' scales, and beetles' wings. Of the squares, the finest is the Largo do Rocio, the largest, the Largo de Santana. In the first, which is always kept tolerably clean, stand the opera house, the government house, the police office, etc. This, too, is the starting place for most of the omnibuses, which traverse the town in all directions. The last-named square is the dirtiest in the whole town. On crossing it for the first time, I perceived lying about me half-putrid cats and dogs, and even a mule in the same state. The only ornament of this square is a fountain, and I almost think I should prefer it if the fountain were, in this case, taken away. For, as soft water is not very abundant in Rio de Janeiro, the washerwoman's noble art pitches its tent wherever it finds any, and most willingly of all when, at the same time, it meets with a good drying ground. The consequence is that, in the Largo de Santana, there's always such an amount of washing and drying, of squalling and screaming, that you are glad to get away as quickly as possible. There's nothing remarkable in the appearance of the churches, either inside or out. The church and cloister of São Bento and the church of Santa Candelaria are the most deceptive. From a distance they have a very imposing look. The houses are built in the European fashion, but are small and insignificant. Most of them have only a ground floor or a single story. Two stories are rarely met with. Neither are there any terraces and verandas adorned with elegant trellis work and flowers, as there are in other warm countries. Ugly little balconies hang from the walls, while clumsy wooden shutters close up the windows and prevent the smallest sunbeam from penetrating into the rooms, where everything is enveloped in almost perfect darkness. This, however, is a matter of the greatest indifference to the Brazilian ladies, who certainly never over-fatigue themselves with reading or working. The town offers, therefore, very little in the way of squares, streets, and buildings, which, for a stranger, can prove in the least attractive. While the people that he meets are truly shocking, nearly all being negroes and negresses, with flat, ugly noses, thick lips, and short woolly hair, they are, too, generally half-naked, with only a few miserable rags on their backs, or else they are thrust into the worn-out European-cut clothes of their masters. To every four or five blacks may be reckoned a mulatto, and it's only here and there that a white man is to be seen. This horrible picture is rendered still more revolting by the frequent bodily infirmities which everywhere meet the eye. Among these, elephantiasis, causing horrible club feet, is especially conspicuous. There is, too, no scarcity of persons afflicted with blindness and other ills. Even the cats and dogs that run about the gutters in great numbers partake of the universal ugliness. 
most of them are covered with demange, or are full of wounds and sores. I should like to be endowed with the magic power of transporting hither every traveller who starts back with affright from the lanes of Constantinople, and asserts that the sight of the interior of the city destroys the effect produced by it when viewed at a distance. It is true that the interior of Constantinople is exceedingly dirty, and that the numbers of small houses, the narrow streets, the unevenness of the pavement, the filthy dogs, etc., do not strike the beholder as excessively picturesque. But then he soon comes upon some magnificent edifice of the time of the Moors or Romans, some wondrous mosque or majestic palace, and can continue his walk through endless cemeteries and forests of dreamy cypresses. He steps aside before a pasha or priest of high rank, who rides by on his noble steed, surrounded by a brilliant retinue. He encounters Turks in splendid costumes, and Turkish women with eyes that flash through their veils like fire. He beholds Persians with their high caps, Arabs with their nobly formed features, dervises in full caps and plated petticoats like women, and now and then some carriage, beautifully painted and gilt, drawn by superbly caparisoned oxen. All these different objects fully make up for whatever amount of dirtiness may occasionally be met with. In Rio de Janeiro, however, there is nothing that can in any way amuse, or atone for the horrible and disgusting sights which everywhere meet the eye. It was not until I had been here several weeks that I became somewhat accustomed to the appearance of the negroes and mulattoes. I then discovered many very pretty figures among the young negresses, and handsome, expressive countenances among the somewhat dark-complexioned Brazilian and Portuguese women. The man seems, as regards beauty, to be less favored. The bustle in the streets is far less than what I had been led to expect from the many descriptions I had heard, and is certainly not to be compared to that at Naples or Messina. The greatest amount of noise is made by those negroes who carry burdens, and especially by such as convey the sacks full of coffee on board the different vessels. They strike up a monotonous sort of song, to the tune of which they keep step, but which sounds very disagreeable. It possesses, however, one advantage. It warns the foot passenger, and affords him time to get out of the way. In the Brazils, every kind of dirty or hard work, whether indoors or out, is performed by the blacks, who here, in fact, replace the lower classes. Many, however, learn trades, and frequently are to be compared to the most skillful Europeans. I have seen blacks in the most elegant workshops, making wearing apparel, shoes, tapestry, gold or silver articles, and met many a nattily dressed negro maiden working at the finest ladies' dresses, or the most delicate embroidery. I often thought I must be dreaming when I beheld these poor creatures, whom I had pictured to myself as roaming free through their native forests, exercising such occupations in shops and rooms. Yet they do not appear to feel it as much as might be supposed. They were always merry and joking over their work. Among the so-called educated class of the place, there are many who, in spite of all the proofs of mechanical skill, as well as general intelligence which the blacks often display, persist in asserting that they are so far inferior to the whites in mental power 
that they can only be looked upon as a link between the monkey tribe and the human race. I allow that they are somewhat behind the whites in the intellectual culture, but I believe that this is not because they are deficient in understanding, but because their education is totally neglected. No schools are erected for them, no instruction given them. In a word, not the least thing is done to develop the capabilities of their minds. As was the case in all despotic countries, their minds are purposely kept enchained. For, were they once to awake from their present condition, the consequences to the whites might be fearful. They are four times as numerous as the latter, and, if they ever become conscious of this superiority, the whites might probably be placed in the position that the unhappy blacks have hitherto occupied. But I am losing myself in conjectures and reasonings, which may, perhaps, become the pen of a learned man, but certainly not mine, since I assuredly do not possess the necessary amount of education to decide upon such questions. My object is merely to give a plain description of what I have seen. Although the number of slaves in the Brazils is very great, there is nowhere such a thing as a slave market. The importation of them is publicly prohibited, yet thousands are smuggled in every year, and disposed of in some underhand manner, which everyone knows and everyone employs. It is true that English ships are constantly cruising off the coasts of Brazil and Africa, but even if a slaver happened to fall into their hands, the poor blacks, I was told, were no more free than if they had come to the Brazils. They are all transported to the English colonies, where, at the expiration of ten years, they are supposed to be set at liberty. But during this period, their owners allow the great number to die, of course, in the returns only, and the poor slaves remain slaves still. But I repeat that I only know this from hearsay. After all, slaves are far from being as badly off as many Europeans imagine. In the Brazils they are generally pretty well treated. They are not overworked, their food is good and nutritious, and the punishments are neither particularly frequent nor heavy. The crime of running away is the only one which is visited with great rigor. Besides a severe beating, they have fetters placed round their neck and feet. These they have to wear for a considerable period. Another manner of punishment consists in making them wear a tin mask, which is fastened with a lock behind. This is the mode of punishment adopted for those who drink, or are in the habit of eating earth or lime. During my long stay in the Brazils, I only saw one negro who had got on a mask of this description. I very much doubt whether, on the whole, the lot of these slaves is not less wretched than that of the peasants of Russia, Poland, or Egypt, who are not called slaves. I was one day very much amused at being asked to stand godmother to a negro, which I did, although I was not present at either baptism or confirmation. There is a certain custom here, that when a slave has done anything for which he expects to be punished, he endeavors to fly to some friend of his owner, and obtain a note, asking for the remission of his punishment. The writer of such a letter has the title of godfather bestowed on him, and it would be accounted an act of the greatest impoliteness not to grant the godfather's request. In this way, I myself was fortunate enough to save a slave from punishment. The town is tolerably well lighted, and the lighting is continued to a considerable distance, on all sides, beyond the town itself. This measure was introduced on account of the great number of blacks. 
no slave dare be seen in the streets later than nine o'clock in the evening without having a pass from his master certifying that he is going on business for him if a slave is ever caught without a pass he is immediately conveyed to the house of correction where his head is shaved and he himself obliged to remain until his master buys his freedom for four or five mil hays eight shillings eight pence or ten shillings ten pence in consequence of this regulation the streets may be traversed with safety at any hour of the night one of the most disagreeable things in rio de janeiro is the total absence of sewers in a heavy shower every street becomes a regular stream which it is impossible to pass on foot in order to traverse them it is requisite to be carried over by negroes at such times all intercourse generally ceases the streets are deserted parties are put off and even the payment of bills of exchange deferred it is very seldom that people will hire a carriage for it is an absurd custom here to pay as much for a short drive as if the carriage were required for the whole day in both cases the charge is six mil hays thirteen shillings the carriers are half covered once with seats for two and are drawn by a pair of mules on one of which the driver rides carriages and horses like the english are very seldom to be met with as regards the arts and sciences i may mention the academy of fine arts museum theatre etc in the academy of fine arts is something of everything and not much of anything a few figures and busts most in plaster a few architectural plans and pencil drawings and a collection of very old paintings it really seemed to me as if some private picture gallery had been carefully weeded of all the rubbish in it, which had then been put here out of the way. Most of the oil paintings are so injured that it is scarcely possible to make out what they are intended to represent, which, after all, is no great loss. The one thing respectable about them is their venerable antiquity. A startling contrast is produced by the copies of them made by the students. If the colors in the old pictures are faded, in the modern ones they blaze with a superfluity of vividness. Red, yellow, green, etc., are there in all their force. Such a thing as mixing, softening, or blending them has evidently never been thought of. Even at the present moment, I really am at a loss to determine whether the worthy students intended to found a new school for coloring, or whether they merely desired to make up in the copies for the damage time had done the originals. There were as many blacks and mulattoes among the students as whites, but the number of them altogether was inconsiderable. Music, especially singing in the pianoforte, is almost in a more degraded position than painting. In every family the young ladies play and sing, but of tact, style, arrangement, time, etc., the innocent creatures have not the remotest idea so that the easiest and most taking melodies are often not recognizable. The sacred music is a shade better, although even the arrangements of the imperial chapel itself are susceptible of many improvements. The military bands are certainly the best, and these are generally composed of negroes and mulattoes. The exterior of the opera house does not promise anything very beautiful or astonishing and the stranger is consequently much surprised to find on entering a large and magnificent house with a deep stage. I should say it could contain more than two thousand persons. 
There are four tiers of spacious boxes rising one above the other, the balustrades of which, formed of delicately wrought iron trellis work, give the theatre a very tasty appearance. The pit is only for men. I was present at a tolerably good representation by an Italian company of the opera of Lucrezia Borgia. The scenery and costumes are not amiss. If, however, I was agreeably surprised by my visit to the theatre, I experienced quite a contrary feeling on going to the museum. In a land so richly and luxuriously endowed by nature, I expect an equally rich and magnificent museum, and found a number of very fine rooms, it is true, which one day or other may be filled, but which at present are empty. The collection of birds, which is the most complete of all, is really fine. That of the minerals is very defective, and those of the quadrupeds and insects poor in the extreme. The objects which most excited my curiosity were the heads of four savages in excellent preservation. Two of them belonged to the Malay, and two to the New Zealand tribes. The latter especially I could not sufficiently contemplate, completely covered as they were with tattooing of the most beautiful and elegant design, and so well preserved that they seemed only to have just ceased to live. During the period of my stay in Rio de Janeiro, the rooms of the museum were undergoing repairs, and the new classification of the different objects was also talked of. In consequence of this, the building was not open to the public, and I have to thank the kindness of Herr Hiedel, the director, for allowing me to view it. He acted himself as my guide, and, like me, regretted that in a country where the formation of a rich museum would be so easy a task, so little had been done. I likewise visited the studio of the sculptor Petrick, a native of Dresden, who came over at the unsolicited command of the court, to execute a statue of the emperor in Carrera marble. The emperor is represented the size of life, in a standing position, and arrayed in his imperial robes, with the ermine cloak thrown over his shoulder. The head is strikingly light, and the whole figure worked out of the stone with great artistic skill. I believe this statue was destined for some public building. End of section 3